0: To Dr. Navidson, your request has been approved, I've attached all we could salvage of Project Rainbow body below. As for the other Astras, it's all a bit of a mess at the moment. With all the moving we've had to do since those days, I can't say I'm surprised. At any rate, I hope it's enough for you and your team to work with. Wishing you all the best. Subapathy Vive, Archival Department, South Asian Division. P.S. Give my regards to Dr. K. She'll need it. View attachment. SCP-2498 documentation. Item number SCP-2498 Object Class Neutralized, formerly Keter. Special Containment Procedures. The former parapsychology wing of Andhra Pradesh University has been designated Adjunct Site-2498 for monitoring and communications purposes. In accordance with Foundation Radiation Exposure Safety Guidelines, on-site staff are not to be stationed within Adjunct Site 2498 for more than 240 hours a year. The room containing the remains of SCP-2498 is to remain sealed. It has been lined with lead plates to a thickness of at least 20 centimeters to minimize the risk of radiation exposure. Communication with SCP-2498 is to take place from within observational room number B204A of the parapsychology wing. Due to the potentially sensitive nature of information provided by SCP-2498, communication is only to be attempted by personnel with Level 3-2498 clearance. Update. As of August 17, 1988, SCP-2498 is currently neutralized. Due to the levels of gamma radiation that continue to be emitted by room number B204B, the basement levels of adjunct site 2498 have been filled with concrete. Description SCP-2498 is former E-class personnel, Arjun Ramakrishna Rao. Located in Experimentation Room Number B204B of Adjunct Site 2498, Rao was classified as SCP-2498 following complications during the course of his participation as a subject of Project Rainbow Body. Despite the cessation of most of his biological functions on February 12, 1988, Rao continues to remain responsive and alert. SCP-2498 is believed to be capable of long-distance extrasensory perception and matter manipulation as a result of this event. The limits of its abilities are currently unknown. Update. As of August 17, 1988, SCP-2498 is currently neutralized. However, the room it was formerly contained in continues to emit gamma radiation at a rate of 90 millisieverts per hour. Containment procedures have been updated accordingly. View attachment, Project Rainbow Body documentation. Project Rainbow Body, clearance three brief. Rainbow Body was a mental conditioning regimen jointly developed by Foundation researchers and the Department of Parapsychology of Andhra Pradesh University in 1975 as part of the Rainbow Astra program. The purpose of the regimen was to develop remote viewing abilities in psychonautically adept individuals for intelligence gathering purposes, as part of the Foundation's contractual obligations with the Indian government during the Cold War. In its final development stage, it comprised administering a subject with a controlled dosage of scopolamine and a synthetic mescaline derivative under a combination of sensory deprivation electroconvulsive therapy and background exposure to class 1 oral cognito hazards successful execution of the rainbow body regimen causes subjects to experience extreme disorientation and vertigo to the point of physical and mental discomfort improperly conditioned subjects display signs of overwhelming psychological distress within 30 to 40 seconds prolonged exposure beyond this point risks lasting neurological damage, less than 1 in 10 subjects eventually attain an anomalous psychological state hereafter referred to as the viewing state. During the viewing state, movement of most of the subjects' voluntary muscles will be inhibited and their senses will be greatly dulled. Their heart rate drastically increases while their breathing becomes quicker and shallower. Electroencephalogram EEG readings taken of the subject at this stage show increased theta wave activity and decreased alpha and beta waves. Despite this, subjects in this state remain fully conscious, being able to respond to verbal cues, as well as perform slight physical movements like twitching their fingers or toes. Throughout this state, subjects are able to decouple their field of vision from their physical location. They gain the ability to perceive objects beyond their supposed point of view, as well as access information previously unknown to them. Experimentation has proven that the range and strength of this ability correlate with the following factors. The subject having had prior training in forms of meditation, in particular traditional Hindu meditation. The subject's ability to voluntarily enter a state of lucid dreaming the subject's resistance to hallucinogenic drugs. The number of times the subject has previously undergone the regimen, approximately two in five participants failed to survive more than three executions of the regimen, expiring from various neurochemical complications or organ failure. The relatively high mortality rate led to the project being temporarily suspended in February 1985 under the investigations of the Ethics Committee. It was only restored following talks with the Overseer Council, who informed the committee of Rainbow Astra's importance to negotiations with the Indian government. By May 1985, research had continued according to schedule, on the condition of minimizing subject mortality and prioritizing wider subject recruitment from voluntary sources. In the beginning, Rainbow Body subjects were primarily D-class personnel, from the South Asian experimental subject intake who had displayed high psychonautical aptitude and mental resilience during intake tests, following the successful infiltration of the Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA, voluntary subjects under Gondola Wish. Gondola Wish was the first civilian military joint research program initiated by the DIA and the Stanford Research Institute in 1977. Its purpose was to investigate and reproduce the phenomenon of remote viewing for use in ANINT, anomalous intelligence, and ANSICH, anomalous psychology operations, following their breaking off from existing PASR, parascientific research, and PASD, parascientific deployment departments, were incorporated into the program as well. After the 1985 investigation, the project began to recruit subjects from Foundation personnel with extensive experience in psychic phenomena, prioritizing those nearing the end of their employment term. View Attachment RBS003 Subject File Personal File of Arjun Ramakrishna Rao Subject Designation RBS003 Name: Arjun Ramakrishna Rao, Year of Birth, April 4th, 1928 Participation status, voluntary. Originally posted as an esoteric containment specialist in MTF Theta-77, Rao was hastily transferred to the Foundation's South Asian operations following the total withdrawal of Foundation assets from the United Kingdom in 1965. After a period of time as Site-36's psychological training specialist, He was recruited into project rainbow body in 1985 following the recommendations of his former colleagues by then he had amassed considerable experience in the fields of psychic research and mind affecting phenomena as well as a reputation for extraordinary mental fortitude rao immediately took a liking to the project upon his arrival and was dismayed at its sluggish rate of progress going as far as to volunteer himself for accelerated acclimatization under guided supervision. He successfully entered the viewing state on his first attempt after a record 40 hours of acclimatization over the course of only a week. Surpassing his peers, Rao was able to provide concise descriptions of objects up to 100 meters away, as well as identify voices and general mental states of individuals within that range. His proficiency in undergoing the procedure was highlighted and brought to the attention of Regional Command, who gave permission to train and deploy Rao under Project Rainbow Body as a remote intelligence gathering operative. Throughout his following tests, Rao continuously defied expectations. Within five executions of Rainbow Body, he was able to project his field of perception to an unprecedented distance of 12 kilometers. Rao was also able to remain in the viewing state for almost two hours at a time, with negligible impact to his physical health, though he reported mild dissociative episodes occurring up to 15 hours later. At his peak, Rao was able to identify and provide descriptions of sights, sounds, and general mental states located up to 1,800 kilometers away, though he continued to claim that he could have gone further. Rao first entered active deployment in November 1987, where he provided remote intelligence support for MTF operations in Bengaluru during the containment of an SCP-584 outbreak. Rao continued to provide support for a variety of regional MTF operations until his classification as SCP-2498 in August 1988. View attachment. Incident 2498-1988-0212 Archived testimony from Franz Ziegler, Rainbow Body Head Researcher, dated February 1st, 1989 The call came around 4 in the morning. It was Joe from the lab. She said they'd found Rao unconscious in the basement. At first I was confused. We didn't have any tests scheduled. It had only been less than 48 hours after the AWACS sim-op. Then it hit me. I pulled on a shirt and hurried down to the lab as soon as I could. He had been strapped onto a cot when I arrived. From the adjacent room I could see that he was wearing a hospital gown. Joe told me they'd found him naked. His skin, the gowns, and the sheets were drenched in sweat. His mouth opened and closed like that of a dead fish. Though his body was still, I could see a slight, constant tremor that shook through his meager frame. The worst of it were his eyes. They were wide open and swiveled wildly in his sockets. Joe assured me he was unconscious, but I saw nothing but the waking, shivering husk of a man with a mad prayer on his lips. If he was under, as Joe claimed to be, he would have to be more than awake. The sensation of raw, utter awareness that so gripped the subjects under the regimen is not something the official documentation mentions at any length. I asked Joe how he was able to administer the procedure without any help. He didn't, she said. Her voice was low and grave. Divya and the night shift found him next to the machines, trembling like this. We think he's under, but we don't know how. Impossible. It's got to be something else. Catalepsy, seizure, something in the last dose we overlooked? I scrambled for ideas. Anything a cause. Subject 421, the one from the classified intake, she exhibited similar symptoms after her second run. It's not. E.G. shows otherwise. Theta waves all the way through. He's gone under, further than the rest before. As she spoke, a sudden convulsion gripped Rao's body, and a sound escaped from his lips, a long low moan like a cow's. We can still ease him out of it. Shock ejection, BZDs, LSPs, the works, I asked running down the list of contingencies in my mind. She shook her head. No go, she said. His body's rejecting everything we're giving him. What goes in just comes out. There's nothing left in there to process it. We snake drips in and out of him, pumped him full of regulators and inhibitors, watched the drugs we gave him flow in and out of the tubes, and his body shook and shook the whole time while his mouth mumbled animal phrases. We cycled all his blood out at one point, or several. I tried to make some calls to see if we could involve other... other items, anything to save him, but the lines were silent. At one point, I could have sworn he smiled. And his eyes, the whole goddamn time, his eyes... his body was going haywire, poisoning itself with its own chemicals. There was nothing we could do. Eventually, he stopped convulsing. His heart failed, then the EEG went silent. Inexplicably, his lungs continued to breathe for about five minutes after that. I remember his lifeless chest heaving dumbly under his shift, swelling and pulsing, sickeningly pulsing, continuing to pulse, imbibing and expelling dead air past his numbed lips against all reason. He was pronounced dead by nine. By ten, we were getting calls from above. Regional Directors, Ethics Comm, you name it. Playing with anomalous phenomena, we knew we'd be running the risk that the whole thing would come crashing about our heads. I'm surprised they let us keep going on for that long. But Rao had quite the reputation outside our circles, and after all we did, after all the risks we took, it only took his death for the hammer to come down on us. There was one other call from the Archival Department. For some reason, they seemed genuinely concerned about the future of our research. We briefed them over the phone, and they offered to schedule an appointment to take the project off our hands. With the amount of hot water we were in, we were more than eager to cooperate. Now we didn't think much of it at the time, but we only found out much later that this missive had been relayed from a member of the Overseer Council himself, and once we had found that out, it had been too late for us. Of course, all that only happened after Rao's corpse began to speak. Archived testimony from Jocasta Simos, Esoteric Containment Specialist, dated February 2nd, 1989. Franz wasn't close to Rao, don't get me wrong, he wasn't like Dr. Rajaputram in the slightest, but I was a different story. I was stationed with him back in England. When the powers that be decided to leave the Brits to fend against Dark Peak and send us halfway around the world to the colonies, Rao wasn't opposed to the move. He was born near here, actually. Not too far from our provisional research site at the university. He talked about it once or twice back then, in the lulls between the breaches. We were close back then, I'd like to think. Or as close as anyone could ever be to Rao, really. I knew him and he knew me. And back in England, I was the most senior of the crew, so when it came to sending someone to talk to his corpse, it stood to reason that I was the first and most natural choice. We took all precautions with Rao. Standard first responder protocol, you know the drill as well as I do. The basement had been sealed off with plastic sheeting, and the ventilation recirculated with makeshift tubing. Pressing against my left thigh was an amnestic auto-injector set to a remote trigger. Given our work, mine and Rouse and a couple of others on the team, we had a few other goodies, too. I spotted control sigils around the door frames, pocket autocasters set to purge duct tape to the corners of the room. The back room stuff, you understand. And just for good measure, our mutual friend Devia had slipped a Class three ward into my suit. Don't run all these by Ziegler and the rest, by the way, they haven't been cleared for those. Anyway, they took all precautions, is what I'm saying. He was on the cot with the equipment as we would left it. The tech boys had reassembled the dissociator rig piece by piece in the hopes of performing some arcane reverse engineering miracle, and all the medical gear that went with it had been brought in as well, along with a slew of other unfamiliarities. When I entered, I had to loosen my collar, as the sheer amount of equipment they dragged inside the room had turned it into a small furnace. Rao himself appeared unaffected by all this. Lying face up on that cot, his body did not sweat or move, though I could have sworn I saw his eyes track my every move as I entered the room. To hear a corpse speak is a disconcerting experience. His words were... recirculated air. Before each sentence that he spoke, he would draw in a breath, swelling his chest like one of those hand-powered accordion bellows, and his words would escape his lips in a single, slow breath. His entire being was like this, a single deliberation, a singular conscious effort on his part to even exist, much less speak to anyone at all. Singular, I think that's the right word, yes. It was that sheer singularity about him that made my every muscle tense in his presence. Never mind that I was his friend. In there he was singular, a singularity. So Rao turned his head in my direction as I walked in and drew in a breath. I did wrong, he wheezed. Then he took in another breath and said my name. I asked him if he could hear me, or see me. Another breath, rattling from his throat. He said that he could, But his sight was fading fast. I asked him why. He said that he moved upwards, against instructions. I asked him why he did that. He said that he wanted to see. See what? I asked. The sky, he said. The shell of the world. That was when you woke? You were unable to proceed? No. Then what happened? I passed through. I thought I had woken up, but I was still inside. Don't you see I kept on going up? And it was the same. Sky after sky, shells and shells. Our world is wrong. We were wrong. There is no revelation, only introspection. I asked him what the difference between the two was. There was a hacking, almost mechanical cough. I think he was trying to laugh when I saw the muscles around his eyes twitch. He said, You know, far as I've gone, I don't think there is any. Not in this life. I asked him if he thought he was going to die, certainly he said, but cogito ergo sum. The timer on my wrist sounded, I turned to leave. Another thing, he said as I reached for the door. Rao turned his head towards the ceiling, we hadn't thought him capable of other movements save for speech, so his arms had not been secured. Slowly the left arm raised, until it pointed vertically upwards towards an unseen point above his head. And then he said eight words, the words you found plastered over Kurnul the day after, posted on every sign and every door. I remember them now, echoing in that empty voice of his behind my ears, exactly as I heard them that day. The skies are cold, I am not alone. Back there, I didn't quite know what he had meant, but today, after what I've seen, they fill me with a certain kind of dread.